And all summer long at our church, we've been studying the life of King David, David who killed Goliath. And as we've been studying his life this summer, we've been trying to look at aspects of his life that we could apply to our life. So like David, people would see us as someone who has a heart for God and someone who's close to God. And as we look at the life of David, if you want to take inside your uh, bulletin and pull out your sermon notes, if you have your Bible today, I want to invite you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 23. Today I want to talk about in our Bible study um, time, I want to talk about what has happened to these kids this week. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers have them. We'd love to give you one to use today. We'd love to give you one to have. We've passed out more than 700 Bibles since our church started two and a half years ago. So if you need one, just wave at the ushers. They'll give you one. If you don't have a Bible or don't know where yours is, just put your name in this one and keep it. But what happened with our students, we see happen in scripture with David, and that is this. David had a life that was surrounded by strength. And that's kind of the title of our Bible study today. We're going to look at David's life and how David was surrounded by strength. Because I want you to know what has happened in the life of our students this week. But more than that, specifically moms and dads. But everyone is going to learn something today, going to be challenged in some way. I want you to know parents and I want you to know people what you and I need to have in our life and continue to have in our life if we're really going to win spiritually the way we've seen our students win spiritually, the way we see the life of David excel spiritually. And in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 8 through 39, David has just offered his last words. And before kind of his last will and testament, or right after his last will and testament, we see the people that were the most integral in the life of David. And we basically see, it's listed in my Bible as his mighty warriors. We see the men that David surrounded himself with in life. And we see that David was strong because of the strength of the people around him. And here's what it starts out. 2 Samuel chapter 23, we'll start in verse 8. We'll go through verse 24, and then we'll skip all those names that I can't pronounce and you don't care about. Uh, We'll go down to 39, and then we'll pick up in our Bible study time. It says, these are the names of David's mighty warriors. Joshebeth, a Tecmanite, was chief of the three, basically the three highest of his warriors. He raised a spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. Next to him was Eliezer, the son of Dodai, the Ahoite, as one of the three mighty warriors. He was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Pasdamim for battle. Then the Israelites retreated, but Eliezer stood his ground and he struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about great victory that day and the troops returned to Eliezer, but only to strip the dead. Next to him was Shammah, son of Agi, the Herorite. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and he struck down the Philistines. And the Lord brought about a great victory. During harvest time, three of the 30 chief warriors came down to David at the cave of Adullam, while a band of Philistine was encamped at the valley of Rephaim. And at that time, David was in a stronghold, and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. And David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines. They drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and they carried it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, Lord, to do this, he said. Is this not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives and David wouldn't drink it? Such were the exploits of the three mighty warriors, his three best friends. Shows you how strong they were. Verse 18, Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zariah, was chief of the three. He raised a spear against 300 men whom he killed. And so he became as famous as they were. Was not he held in greater honor than the three? He even became their commander, even though he wasn't included among them. 
Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant warrior from Kabzeel, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion, and he struck down a huge Egyptian. Although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Benaiah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Such were the exploits of Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. He, was, he too was famous as the three mighty warriors. And he was held in greater honor than any of the 30, but he wasn't included among the top three. And David put him in charge of his bodyguard. Then verse 4 says, among the 30 were. And then we have a list of the names that David surrounded himself with in life. We get down to verse 39, and we read that there were 37 in all. But it's funny that the Bible doesn't like, let the life of David close before telling us that the life of David was successful because of the company that he kept. And as these students have returned from camp, I want you to, if you listen closely in there, you hear that, that it's the natural reaction of people when they go to spiritual battle to run away. That's what happened several times. They were with the Israelites and everyone ran away but one. David, when we meet David, like we heard last week from Pastor Brian who was here speaking on David and Goliath, everyone fled from Goliath but one. It's the natural reaction of people when they're faced with spiritual decision to run away. But every now and then one will step out from the crowd and say, I'm not going to run away. I'm going to stand and fight. These teens have stood and they fought spiritually this week. And the things that they have talked through and the things that they have worked through and the things that they have talked with their friends about. One of the things we talked about on Wednesday morning at camp was how one of the things in life that is worse for you spiritually are your secrets. The secrets that you have in your life. Maybe the secret sin nobody knows about. Maybe some secret shame you carry that's nothing you've done wrong, but it's something that's been done wrong to you. Maybe a secret struggle that you have that's not considered sinful, but you've just got something in your DNA that's caused you to struggle with something all your life that you don't want anyone to know about. Or we talked about stress, how sometimes we carry around this load of stress for our family or our jobs or our kids or our school. Maybe you, it's for the things that you oversee and we don't tell anyone. And we challenged our teens before you leave this week, tell people your secrets so they can pray for you. And we watch these teens stand in fights where, where adults often run from the battle. And I bring you this message today because what we find when we look in the life of David, David surrounded himself with people who when the spiritual battle came, they would stand and fight together with him. And if these teens are going to continue spiritually like they have started, they need a church, they need leaders, they need adults, they need parents, they need grandparents who will stand and fight with them in their own life spiritually and quit running from the battle line of spiritual confrontation. I want to talk to you about being surrounded by strength in our message today. And I just want to teach you three things from the life of David, which have huge application in our life. And they mean a lot as we get back from camp today. Here's the first thing you need to know about the life of David, and really the life of many of the strongest Christians in Scripture. Many of the strongest Christians in Scripture were surrounded by other strong Christians. I would actually say most, not all, because we read of some prophets who seem to be all by themselves their entire life, but most of the strongest Christians in Scripture were surrounded by other strong Christians, and that's not a coincidence at all. And we've talked to our teenagers, and I want to talk to you about this reality. Look around your life. Is your life surrounded by the strongest Christians that you know? If so, you're, you're probably doing great spiritually. If not, there are probably some steps you can take. 
Now, when I went to youth camp right before my senior year of high school, this was pointed out to me, and I realized that my best friends in the whole world, none of them were Christians. But I wanted to be a strong Christian. So I went home committed not to drop all my friends, but to win my friends to Jesus because I wanted to be strong spiritually, and I wanted my friends to know who Jesus was. So some of you, you look at your life, you look at your same volleyball teams, you look at your softball teams, you look at the people you work with, you look at the people you, you hang out with on the weekends, you look at the people you have block parties with and do cookouts with in the backyard, and you would say, you know, the people I'm closest to in my life are not the strongest people spiritually that I know. You can do something about that. You can leave this service, you can begin to pray for them, and you can begin to talk to them about Jesus and bring, you, bring them along in your spiritual journey because the stronger the Christians you surround her with, the, the stronger you'll be. And there's another thing you can do. When I started this church, it was my goal to literally get the strongest ministry leaders I had ever done ministry with in 15 years and to convince them to help me start this church and be a part of this church. And God allowed us great favor in doing that from Pastor Ryan, who I had served in youth ministry with since the, the fall of 1998, to Pastor Scott, who I started doing everyday ministry with in 2001, to Pastor Jamie, who runs our creative arts ministry with, who I've known for more than a decade, to Pastor Jason and his wife, Michelle, who I served with for more than 10 years. And I actually had someone say to me one time, you know, Christian, it seems like you're surrounding yourself with like just people you've known from your past. And I said, that's exactly right. Because I know that all by myself I'm weak, but if I will surround myself with the strongest people I know, it'll help me be strong. And I've got two or three others that I'm still talking to that we need to bring in the fold because I know the stronger the people that I have around me, the stronger that I'll be. So there's really two ways to surround yourself with strong people. You go get the people who aren't where they need to be spiritually and you help them come along. You don't drop them, you bring them with you. But then you kind of handpick small group leaders, mentors, people at church who are really strong spiritually and you bring them into your life too and like David at the end of your life you say man if I were to write up a list of the 25 people in my life who are closest to me they're some of the strongest spiritual warriors I've ever met in my life Ecclesiastes 4 9 through 12 says it this way this is from the pen of Solomon who was David's son two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor if either one of them falls down one can help the other up But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Go back on the screen, if you would, and maybe on your outline to verse 10. It said, if either one of them falls down, say the words falls down. How many of you think these teens are going to stumble spiritually between now and eternity? Yes, of course. Probably in the last 24 hours or when they wake up enough to live a full 24 hours, you know, they're, they're going to fall down spiritually. Pity the teens in these white shirts who don't have parents and friends who will bend down and pick them up spiritually when they fall. Pity the adults in our congregation who are trying to do this spiritual thing all by themselves and they have a tough week, they have a tough situation, they respond or react the wrong way to something and they fall down spiritually and they don't have somebody to to get them up and kind of dust them off and say, hey, keep going. We look at the life of David and we see strong Christians usually surround themselves in life with strong Christians and believe it or not, this is both the hardest and most important role of a minister at a church to try to connect people to people. It's extremely difficult to try to connect people to people, but we spend lots of times talking about it because we know when the right two people get connected, man, spiritual legacy can happen. Now, as we read through Scripture, a lot of the people that we know are actually connected to other people. They, they come in pairs. 
So I'm going to play a little scripture name game with you today. I'm going to give you the name of someone in scripture. You're going to give me their pair. I'm trying to prove to you that kind of no one ever exists alone. One person did exist alone, and God says it's not good for people to be alone. But before I get into the scripture, I'll give you some secular ones just to start, just to get the juices flowing. And I've tried to get one for like every generation, so I'll start with with you folks that are older than me, you know, maybe in your 40s, 50s, 60s. I'll start with your generation, and I'll work myself, I'll work my way down with kind of great duos that we, that we know. Okay, are you ready? All right, here we go. Sonny and? All right, so you get it. Mork and? Yeah, like the young kids are like, what are you talking about? Um, all right, Beavis and? See, I, I bet one of my pastor friends I could get my whole church to say butthead. 20 bucks. <laughs> And I just won that bet. Like I just, like my whole church just said, but it's sitting in church on Sunday morning. God forgive us. Um, and all that stuff. Um, younger generation, Phineas and Fry. Okay. So you got, you get, you get the concept of what we're trying to do. Now let's step into scripture. Adam and you do good. Moses and yeah, there's a couple where you could go Moses and Joshua. You could step into younger generation. How about Joshua and Caleb, if you look at Joshua's life, he never had to do any of his battles alone. He always had Caleb with him. If we look at the, at the life of David, David's best friend was Jonathan, for those of you who know the Bible a little bit. So we never see someone in Scripture kind of operate by themselves. Daniel was a great Christian in Scripture, but we read Daniel's best friends were three guys that we know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Like David's best friends were some of the strongest guys that ever laid on the pages of scripture. And then you look at the apostle Paul and he's got like a half a dozen, you know, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Silas, Paul and Timothy, Paul and Titus. Go read the life of Paul. You never see Paul by himself anywhere. Why? Because one falls down. And pity the person that falls down and doesn't have anyone to help him up. Christianity is hard. And I, I talked to our teens this week. I said, Christianity is more like professional baseball than any other professional sport. Because in baseball, if you get out seven times out of 10, you're one of the greatest people who has ever played. And Christianity is kind of the same way. You're going to fail at least half the time. It's just hard in these bodies that we live in, in the world that we live in. It's hard to bat 1,000 spiritually. If you bat 500, you're doing awesome. If you bat 300, you're, you're probably at top shelf spiritually. So those times we, we fall down and we go back to the dugout with our heads down, we've got to have someone say, you're going to get it the next time. Let me ask you a question. Who's your other spiritual half? Who's your other spiritual half? Like when you look at your life spiritually... Who, who would you say, if you know them, just write their name down on your... Who's the, who's the person you rely on most? Who's the person who won't let you stay down when you fall down? Because until you have that person, you're going to live in a world where you cannot maximize on your spiritual strength. Students, if you have not just written the name of someone down, and I know a few students have. I know a couple students this week have committed to do this for each other. They said that before they left camp. Students, you've got to have a name in that blank. You've got to have another spiritual half. Because when you fall, somebody's got to pull you back up. Who's your other spiritual half? Most importantly, let me ask you this question. Let's just narrow in on moms and dads now. Moms and dads, do you really think these teens are going to flourish as strong Christians if they don't live in a home where their, their parents have a strong faith? It's going to be more difficult for those who go to a home where their mom and dad are not connected right now deeply to Jesus And parents, I need you to be aware. If I can do anything for these teens coming home, all I can do is say, re-up your commitment spiritually so that you can help these kids. It's easy when our students get home from camp to criticize instead of celebrate what has happened. And listen, I was a youth pastor for 10 years. I get, you know, parents who come home and say, oh yeah, they're on that spiritual high. Give them two weeks. 
Why don't instead of criticizing the spiritual high, you say, my kids are on a spiritual high, I'm going to join them and see if we can make two weeks, two months this time. See the difference between criticizing and celebrating what's been done in the life of teenagers? Let's re-up our game because strong Christians need to be surrounded by strong Christians. You, well, you might be thinking, well, Christian, if, if their faith is up to my faith, they're going to be in trouble because I'm not where I need to be spiritually right now. There's actually some good news for those of you who are thinking that because the number two point of today's message is, is this. Many of David's mighty men began as mighty messes spiritually. So the reality is it doesn't matter how you walked into the room today spiritually. That doesn't matter when it comes to having a bold faith and living with a heart for God. It doesn't matter how you walked in. It matters how you're going to walk out and and what you're going to do to change. Because we see when many of these mighty men came to David, like their life was a mess spiritually. In 1 Samuel 22.2, here's how we were introduced to many of these 37. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented, gathered around David, and he became their commander, and about 400 men were with him. Now, if we cross-reference 1 Chronicles 12, we see that the list is very similar. These men who became some of the strongest people that David had ever known started as some of the very weakest, which means this. Mom and dad, it doesn't matter where you came in today spiritually. It matters where you're willing to go because of what you've seen happen in the life of your team. Husband whose wife has been dragging you to church forever. doesn't matter if your life's a mighty mess right now. You have the potential to become a mighty man spiritually. Grandparent who's only here today because your teen's going to sing on stage and be baptized after church. It does not matter that you walked in a mighty mess. The reality is you can walk out mighty spiritually. When we look at the life of David and when we look at scripture, here's what we find out. God has a plan for you to finish strong regardless of where you are right now spiritually. Now, for some of you, that's really difficult to see. You can't see how God would use you. You can't see why God would use you. You've been complacent. You've been down. You've been in distress. You've been in debt. You've been discontent spiritually. You don't understand right now what God can make of your life, but Scripture tells us God has a plan for you to finish strong regardless of where you are spiritually right now. Danielle and I have started watching a show this summer called Property Brothers on some some network, I don't even know what it is. We TV and watch it. It's, it's these two guys who basically they renovate houses. They, they talk people into buying these worn out houses and they renovate them. But it's a real fight because these people want a brand new house and they convince them the only way they can afford the house of their dreams is to buy a dump. Um, and basically they'll redo it for them exactly like they want to see. And every one of them says the same thing. Um, we just can't see how you can take this dump and turn it into what we want. And until they sat down, two brothers, Drew and Jonathan, Jonathan's kind of the redesign guy, until they sat down and show them on a TV screen, here's what it looks like, but then they overlay it with the new, the family has no opportunity to see what could be. But when they overlay the new on the old, they look at the new and say, if that's, if that's a possible result, we're in. If you can really change the old into the new, then we want that. And this is what scripture says about your life. Scripture says you need to quit looking at the dump of your life and you need to see what can be overlaid in your life by the spirit of God. Philippians 1, 6 says it this way. Paul said to the church in Philippi, you need to be confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You need to be confident That the spiritual house you now represent can be transformed into a brand new spiritual house. And it can get better and better and better until one day when you see Jesus. But the first step to getting out of your mess is recognizing why you're there. 
Because the sad reality of Youth Camp 101 is this. There are many parents in a horseshoe surrounding these kids and grandparents who at one point had this camp experience. You went on a mission trip. You went on a, uh, on a youth camp. You went to FCA camp. You went to Young Life camp. You did something similar to what these kids have done. And there was a Sunday in your life where you were where these kids were. Like, like you were so on fire spiritually and then, and then something happened. And you feel, like you, you feel like you were broken. You're just saying, well, I guess it wasn't just for me. Do you know that the Apostle Paul, in every church he started, he had, a, he, had, he had a church that started with a huge spiritual wave, and then all of them lost momentum. Every letter that Paul writes, he asks the same question, what happened spiritually? you got to figure out what happened. Like, you were so on fire. You were doing so good. Like, you were reading your Bible every day. Like, you never missed church. You were serving at church. Like, you were telling everyone about Jesus. Paul asked, every, read his epistles. Every one of them, he asked basically the same question. What happened? You were doing so good. In, Gal- in, in Galatians 5, 7, we ask our students this question this week. I think some parents need to ask it of themselves. The apostle Paul said, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you? It's a picture of cars that are trying to merge onto a highway and you're going down the highway of your spiritual life and you got the cruise control set on 70, 72, 75 and everything's going perfect for you spiritually and then someone comes in in front of you and they're going slow and because we don't want to, you know, it takes a lot of effort to kind of tap the brakes and reset the cruise so we want to get over in the left-hand lane but somebody's riding right beside us left so right before we hit them, we kind of tap the brakes and I mean, they've ruined our day because we had to turn off cruise control and we never kind of hit our stride again. The Apostle Paul said, what, who cut in on you? Who made you tap the brakes and why haven't you reset the cruise control yet? Let me ask you, adults, you remember the spiritual commitments you made when you were these teens' age? What, what's happened? Just get a job that doesn't leave you time? Did you have a bad spiritual experience with a pastor or a youth pastor or a church? Did, you get really, did, did, did someone who was a Christian break your heart or did some friend leave you? Did alcohol or drugs or partying get into your life and you've not been... Like, what happened? What happened that you used to be here and now you're where you are? See, a mighty mess can turn into a mighty man spiritually, but only once you realize who cut in on you and you realize how to, how to set the cruise control back where it needs to be. Sometimes people get off track. Now, we can quit when that happens. Or we can just fire the car back up, get back on the road, and start going again. For the sake of these teenagers, I need the adults in our church to start going again. Because these teens up here, I guarantee you as these teens were up here worshiping today, at least one of them looked down at the adults and thought, man, these adults don't worship like teens worship. I need you adults to raise your game so these kids can stay where they are spiritually. And then finally, here's maybe the whole key of today. Certainly was the key of David's life. The reality is a strong faith the strong faith of teens can inspire others to embrace their own strong faith. That's why we put these teens on the stage this morning. That's why we're going to have baptisms after church because there are some of you that need to be inspired to get back to where you used to be spiritually. And maybe you've convinced yourself in your heart. You, you have stepped up to the line of spiritual battle several times and you've just said, you know, I just can't deal with this at 30 like I did 15. I just can't deal with this at 40 like I did 21. I just, you know, I can't make another commitment at 55 like I was a teenager. Sure you can. And sometimes teenagers re- remind us that we've got a lot more fight in us spiritually than we believe that we do. Now, the context of 2 Samuel chapter 23 is this, that if we were to flash back 50 years, 
I believe from my study of Scripture and learning what I've learned about the ages of these men who served with David, I believe almost every one of them was in Israel's army as they drew up for battle with Goliath. And like Pastor Brian told us, every day for 40 days, twice a day, Goliath would come out. And these 37 warriors, one of them who would end up fighting so diligently that he would get a cramp in his forearm and they had to pry the sword from his hand because he had a forearm. It says the sword froze to his hand. It wasn't because it was cold. He literally got a cramp in his forearm from fighting so diligently. From a guy who had to have a sword pried out of his hand to a guy who all we know is some, some big old Egyptian guy was there, to a guy who beat him with a club, stole his spear, and stabbed him with it. Like we see these great valiant warriors who didn't start as valiant warriors. They started as people who were in the army that 80 times out of 80 said no to spiritual battle. And what happened? One teenager said yes. And the faith of one teenager after there wasn't one mighty warrior in Israel who could fight a big battle, the faith of a teenager, after these mighty warriors 80 times had said, don't think that's for me, the faith of a teenager inspired a nation. One kid who was willing to say, I'll give my life to God, inspired the nation that they could trust God as well. That's why I want some of our teenagers to talk to you today. So Pastor Scott is going to come up and um, Nick and Zach. Um, Zach, we're calling you in from the bullpen. I don't know if you heard, but come on up. Um, and Haley are going to come up. These are three of our students. One who it was their first year at camp. Um, one who it was their second year at camp. One who it was their third year at camp. And all had something crazy radical happen in their life this week that I wanted them to tell you about. Why? Because I believe the faith of a teenager can inspire people, can remind people for about the faith that they used to have. Um, come on out, guys. It's okay. You've already been up here uh, once. Um, and I want them to kind of tell you their story. Now, guys, what you've sent me, I've got written here. So if you want to read it, you can do that. I'd love for you to just speak it. I've already kind of heard you tell it at camp. Um, this is Nick. Everybody say, hey, Nick. Yeah. See, we're all friends now, so everything's cool. Um, Nick goes to Belton High School. Um, and he's going to share a little bit about what happened his first year at camp with our teens. Uh, you know what, Jen, like every mic was over there. Does this have a number on it? Wireless 2 is what it says right here. There's usually only one mic over there, and because of the teen section, like all the mics are over there. I think it's on now. Now Danielle just broke hers. So, I mean, this is turning out to be like a really cool Sunday. Um, but it, it's on now, and we're ready to go. Um, so, Jamie, you might help a second service figure out what we're doing up here. But go ahead, Nick. Before camp, my life was in a bad state. I was always down. And God was always there, but he was in the back of my mind. But I had so many people pushing me to connect with him. And the McVeighs got me a Bible, and I started reading it. I had second thoughts about going to, um, going to camp, and I finally said, I'll go, and I'll see how it is. When I got to camp, we were the first ones there, so it's pretty awesome because we got to go tubing first. Um, Monday was great. Camp was too, other than the food. But Monday night, I gave my heart and soul to Jesus Christ, and I was amazed by his power in the room. Thank you. And after that night, all week, um, during the week, I was amazed by his power, and I would read the Bible every night during camp. I really opened up and told things about me that not even my closest friends know about me. 
and it's a great feeling to get secrets out, and I feel great. Um, I even did a 5K, and it was so fun, and the lake was mind-blowing. After camp, um, after camp, I was so tired. Um, the next morning, as soon as I woke up, um, I wrote my Bible. I read, read my Bible, and always will every morning and night. And I had, I had an outstanding time at camp, and I've been amazed by how much my life changed with God being there for me. And and I pushed kids to go to go tell camp. My life has been changed forever, and it was a blast. I have to thank the McVeigh family. And a dear friend of mine, her name is Alex Reed. Thank you for pushing me to get closer to God. Amen. Now, I don't know, I don't know what you heard from the faith of this teenager, but we got a family in our church. Had they not pushed and pulled and helped get him to where he needed to be spiritually, he wouldn't have come. So I hope you heard from this teenager, not only that Jesus radically changed his life, which he did, and I want you to pray for Nick. He's got a, he's got a tough road because he lives a long way from our church and we need to figure out how to, how to get him here um, all the time because he wants to be a part of what we're doing. But I hope you heard how you can make a difference in the life of someone who needs God in their life. Um, this is Zach. Everybody say, hey, Zach. All right, so we're all friends now. Um, we had three kids that were lined up and one of them couldn't make it, so we just grabbed Zach. So it's like, you, we, you're just gonna have to go from your heart, man, because there's nothing written down for you in anything. You went to camp last year. You went to camp this year. I know some cool things happened with your sis. Tell us, tell us your experience this year. All right. Okay. Well, last year, um, I went to camp. I was, I was lost. Um, but when I went to camp, I experienced God, and um, I truly became close, and I gave my life to him last year. So, um, And then after that, I was on fire for a while, and I, I saw what I needed to do, but I, I had a real hard time sticking with that. And... Um, I just, I, I wasn't where I should have been. I saw the path, and I, I just wasn't there. And, and uh, I went again to camp this year, and I brought my sister with me this time. And um, she's been in my prayers a while because um, I just had some concerns, and I really wanted to see her come close to God. And um, I think it was Wednesday night. Wednesday night, night yeah. Wednesday night, um, she got up and gave her life to God, and that that made me so happy, and I was, I mean, I, I, uh, I couldn't stop smiling, and then later that night, I couldn't stop crying, because I was so happy for her, but realized that I have her and my younger sister looking up to me, and um, how, how can I expect them to be strong spiritually when myself, I was not, and uh, so I just... I, I seriously evaluated my life, and I mean, I was I was broken. I had Robbie and Ryan. I mean, we we sat on the front porch of our little cabin thing for like two <laughs> two hours, and I was just bawling my eyes out and just trying to figure out the right path. And um, I truly feel though that God is God is working in my family, and I uh, I see where I needed to go now, and I, I'm going to be there. So, Amen. Good job, dude. I knew he'd do a good job because on the last night of camp, we let all the students just share what had happened that week with each other, and Zach stood up and shared that with all our teens, so I thought our, our church should hear that, because some people in our church have a little brother or little sister who's not close to God right now, and just because they're in seventh grade doesn't mean you don't have influence on them and that you can't reach them. 
So again, I'm hoping the faith of these teenagers will inspire you. This is Haley. Everybody say hi, Haley. Um, Haley goes to Belton High School. She and her family are getting ready to transplant to Texas here in a few weeks. Uh, one of the uh, I, I've done youth ministry, um, did it did it every day of my life for eight years. Um, I, I pastored thousands of kids. We saw thousands give their life to Christ. We baptized over five hundred in eight years. Haley's one of the finest Christian teenagers I've ever had the opportunity to lead, and she had a cool week at camp. So you speak off, you speak from your heart. I've got what you've written right there, whatever you want to do, Haley. Okay, um, so this was my third time going to go tell camp, so I pretty much knew what to expect. You know, you wake up, you go to breakfast, you go to share time or breakout sessions, and then you go to service, and then free time at the lake, and then you have night service. So I was like, all right, I know the schedule, I know it's going to go down. Um, but, like, throughout the week, we had different speakers, and, like, they were all great and everything, but none of them really spoke to me um, because, you know, I'm, I know I'm saved. Last year, I had a really big transformation and, like, um, went all in, you know, and got baptized, and it was a really great experience. And then, um, so this week, I was like, all right, God, you know, what's next? Um, I was just kind of waiting throughout the week, and then... Um, on on Thursday morning, Christian gave a call to ministry, and um, I decided to become. I decided to go into full time ministry and become a missionary. Um, <laughs> uh, for a couple of years now, I mean, you know, in eighth grade, they're like pushing, like, you need to know what you want to do at the end of high school. They're like, you need to know so you can, like, t- start taking classes. And um, I've gone back and forth between different things, being a, a lawyer and a special education teacher, but I've always come back to being a missionary. Um, I, I want people to know God like I do. And I have a huge heart and passion for children. I've always looked out for the younger ones, being an older sister. I'm kind of used to that. Um, so, like, when I went forward, I don't even remember, like, standing up and walking up there. It was like God took complete control of me, because I was still a little unsure about it, and, um, so we went, like, downstairs under the auditorium, and we each, like, met with an intern individually, and they prayed with us, and my intern, Rebecca, prayed that, uh, God would give me an opportunity for mission work, and... That same night, Rick Gage, uh, like the founder of GoTel and stuff, he said that they have a few spots on their mission trip this summer to the Dominican Republic. And so I instantly jumped on that chance after the service. I went up and talked to Callie, who was another intern that I met this week and last year. And I told her that I wanted to go. So we got all the information and... First, the biggest obstacle to me was getting my mom and dad to say yes. (laughs) (laughs) And so I called them that night. I was like, Mom, I really want to go on this. I was like, I know dad's going to be the biggest obstacle because he's not, he's he's a protector, so he wants to take care of me. He told me you called him on speakerphone. So you went ahead and got your mom in your corner first, and then you (laughs) called your dad. I did. All right. Y'all see how that works, those of us who are dads? I just need you to know that. It's always a setup when they call you together. Well, yeah. 
But, um, yeah, I got my mom on my side, and she talked him into it, and then Christian also talked him into it. So um, I get to go. The trip. Yeah. I'm extremely excited. But uh, the trip is July 14th through July 21st. And right now I'm really working on getting a passport because I don't have one. So we have to get it expedited. And, um, yeah, I don't know what all we have to do for that. But I know it's a lot. And <laughs> so um, just keep praying that I get a passport right now. And um, I know that if it's really in God's plans, then he'll pro- provide the means for me to go and provide me with a passport. So, uh, and being a missionary to me not only means going out of the country to reach people, but also reaching out to people in my own town, in my school, and my friends. And I can't wait for the life-changing experience I'm sure awaits for me in the Dominican Republic. Amen. Good job, guys. You can go ahead and sit down. Good job, Haley. Um, Y'all can go sit down. I don't know if she said a phrase that may be the most important phrase that's been said this morning. She said, I want people to know God like I know God. You know, most Christians never stop to think that one time. I want people to know God like I know God. See, I believe the faith of a teenager, not only David, not only the faith of David going to fight his Goliath, But I believe the faith of these teenagers saying, man, I said yes to God. I gave my life to God. I I realize where I'm failing in my life with God. Um, I want people to know God. I believe the faith of a teenager can kind of kick our butt and get us back in gear. You know what I'm saying? So teens, I want to thank you for sharing today. Now, we've been doing this series not only to learn about David, but to learn how David was just like Jesus. So let me give you some just like Jesus notes, and then we'll close this morning. When we talk about being surrounded by strong people, Jesus lived his ministry life surrounded by strong believers. Um, there were 12 of them. They were actually called, what was the word they were called? The disciples. So we know that, right? I mean, we, like we know Jesus surrounded himself um, with people in his life who were strong spiritually. But we know when, when we look at the life of Jesus, the three people closest to Jesus had extremely strong faith. Their name were Peter, James, and John. And when we see Jesus in life, Most often we see him in a circle of four, Jesus, Peter, James, and John. And we see that the three people that Jesus was closest to were probably at the time the strongest spiritual believers on planet earth. Now here's the best case scenario for teenagers. When we talk about having three people in your life, the best case scenario for these teens, making it spiritually with the spirit they have now, um, is first that their dad really loves Jesus. For those teens that have a dad and live with their dad. Um, Dad, if your teenager's here today, you've got to up your game spiritually. See what's happening with your teenagers and commit to get to their level and the next one. I believe if dads will passionately fall in love with Jesus, many times the the family will follow if dads do it well. Secondly, mom. Again, for those teens that have a mom, that live with their mom, that have a mom um, in their life, I believe when mom and dad passionately love Jesus, it helps teenagers and it helps the family move forward well spiritually. Now, this doesn't always happen, um, but most often, if mom and dad really love Jesus, the teenager has a real good chance of saying yes to Jesus later. But I want to tell you, mom and dad, and you don't have to write this down, but I want you to hear it. Teenagers will always usually fall back to the faith of the weaker parent. 
So like if dad really loves God and mom just really could care less, the teenager's always going to fall back. The teenager's going to match the faith of the weakest parent spiritually. It's just, it's just what teens, like teens live in rebellion. It's just what they do. They will do the minimal. So mom and dad, you've got to be together in your spiritual commitment. And then thirdly for you teenagers, your best friend. Man, when you have a mom and a dad and a best friend who are all pushing in the same direction spiritually, it's not guaranteed, but it's a lot easier for you all to stay spiritually where you need to be. Now, last week, um, my best friend, Todd from high school, I told you between my junior and senior year at camp, I got challenged to surround myself with strong Christians. My best friend in the entire world was not a Christian, and there was no way I wasn't going to be his friend anymore. So I began to pray for him, began to talk to him, and he became a Christian. He became not just my best friend, but the strongest Christian that I knew. And his father-in-law in in my hometown uh, was in a motorcycle accident two weeks ago tonight um, and lost his life. And it's the first time uh, in a couple years that I've reached out to Todd, and we've only talked through voicemail. But the connection we have in moments of life, celebrating the greatest moments of life, and trying to hang together through the most difficult tragedies. I can't tell you what it's meant to have a best friend who loves Jesus like I do and who knows when it's time to step in spiritually and provide a good word. Those of you who are married, it's going to be your spouse and probably a great friend. Maybe it's going to be your small group. But you need to surround yourself with people who are strong spiritually. And then number three, we see that Jesus lived life with those who had the same spiritual pursuit. And yeah, he hung out with and he reached all types of people. But he really tried to live his life with people who were moving in the same direction spiritually that he was. Now, if if I were to give you a surrounded by strength thought process, if I were to give you a thought process for how to get strong and stay strong spiritually, here's what I would say. Get strong, find strong. Get strong and then find strong. That's what we've challenged these teenagers to do this week, to get strong and then find strong. Find other people to push with them in the same direction. This week, these teens have gotten strong. Now, mom and dads, they need to find strong. They need to find it first at home. Friends of, of theirs who may be here, they need to find it in you. Grandparents, they may need to find it in you. Just church body, they need to find it in you. And here's how I want to close this morning. I want to close this morning by giving, giving some of you who are parents some of you who are maybe adoptive parents or caretakers of these kids, I want to give you the opportunity that these kids have had this week. I want to give you the opportunity to kind of rededicate and recommit yourself spiritually, not just for their behalf, but for where you need to be spiritually, which will only benefit them. So I'm going to ask if you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning.